I'm Jill Shaw here with Ross Wilson to bring you the highlights from last night at school committee. Good morning, Ross. Good morning, Jill. How are you today? I am well. Um, excited to chat with you about last night's Boston Public Schools com School Committee meeting. Uh, first up was the superintendent's report. Superintendent Casillas started with a moment of silence in memory of Keith Love, who was a headmaster at Tech Boston. He passed away this week. Ross, I know that you're very fond of Mr. Love. Yeah, uh, Keith, Keith uh, is an amazing person. He, um, he was a wonderful headmaster. He had the, the trust of all the students, and uh, he was He's actually a co-headmaster with, with Nora at Tech Boston. And they're just an amazing team, like a dynamic duo you watch every day. Um, and, you, you know, there, there could be no better leaders for a school than Nora and Keith. Um, we'll miss Keith terribly. And um, I, I recall, you know, the last time that Keith and I talked at Tech Boston was when we were working on My Way Cafe um, at Tech Boston. And he was just so engaged and, and he wanted what, the, what was best for every student um, in, across BPS. Um, so we'll we'll miss Keith uh, terribly and um, and send a lot of thoughts and prayers to his family. It's a huge loss. It sounds like for the school system and and for Tech Boston in particular. Um, so then the superintendent um, started with updates on what is happening across the city uh, in terms of the school providing different kinds of supports for its students while they are still in a mode of online learning. Um, do you mind summarizing where we are with things like summer meals or school meals and um, technology? Sure, this, this seems to be a repetitive um, report each week, each, time, each school committee meeting where we get a report on essentially meals, technology, um, and the supports that are being offered to students. And so the update from this, this week was um, there are 646,000 meals that have been uh, provided across the city uh, from school meal providers. Um, there's been 235,000 meals delivered to door to door to students' homes who uh, who who are uh, homebound. Um, and essentially, BPS and, and partners, such as including the YMCA, they're doing about 25,000 meals a day. Um, and last week, they were able to get out 90,000 meals. Uh, Katie's Closet continues to provide resources. Um, for, for families and students. Um, it, we're five short of 32,000 Chromebooks that have been distributed from BPS to students. Um, and there's continuing distribution of Wi-Fi hotspots. Um, and we should note here that if any family is in need of a Wi-Fi hotspot or a laptop or anything from, from BPS, they can call 617-635-8873 or which is a parent hotline that's open from nine to five each day. Again, that number is 617-635-8873. We should put that on our blog post with this too. Uh, and then uh, Superintendent Casilius started talking about the PEBT cards, which are very exciting. And for anyone in Boston whose children go to the Boston Public Schools, they likely received a PEBT card or additional funding on their current PEBT, or sorry, their current EBT card. Um, the PEBT benefit is a, a massive benefit coming from the federal government through the state um, Department of Transitional Assistance. We're huge fans of this, uh, and it provides hundreds of dollars per child um, who, any child who's in a free or reduced meal program across the state is receiving added benefits incremental to the summer meals that they can go and pick up at school and um, other um, children uh, uh, distribution sites. 
child meal distribution sites. Yes, and uh, and mental health services um, also have been being provided by BPS um, via telehealth uh, to over a thousand students, um, which is which is really I, I think a great need, and and I'm glad BPS is responding um, with with getting mental health support services out to out to students in need. Um, we also heard a little bit about summer learning plans and beginning of plans for the fall reopening. Um, so we, we heard that the, the district is finalizing plans for remote learning this summer. Um, we should get details, I think maybe the superintendent said later this week or, or next week, mm -hmm. um, and that there would be a parent letter sent out soon about opportunities for the summer. Um, it sounds like the summer will all be virtual. There'll be no face-to-face -face programming this summer, um, but a number, I, I believe a number of virtual learning experiences will be offered um, for students. We also heard about fall reopening um, and the superintendent noted that, that her team is working on multiple contingencies for reopening schools this fall, um, and that this would be done in coordination with the state and local, uh, the city uh, coordination, as well as um, following guidance from the Department of Elementary and Secondary Education, which I, the superintendent noted should be out next week. Um, so there's a, a lot of uh, lot going on in planning for summer and planning for reopening of school in the fall. And, and it sounds like the superintendent's working closely with the teachers union, parents, and principals um, to get this information finalized and out to families as soon as possible. Does, does the summer learning program require a, a new contract with teachers, or is it covered under the current contract that they talked about at the last school committee meeting? Well, the, the, the current uh, agreement expires at the end of the school year, which is uh, the last day of June. Um, the summer the summer work falls under the summer school, which is a a, a different engagement with te individual teachers, where teachers mm -hmm. are offered a stipend to teach summer school. Um, so it's not necessarily work conditions for all staff members. It only uh, applies to teachers who sign up voluntarily for summer school. And, and do, do we have an idea of how many? This is about fifty thousand plus children in the Boston Public School System. Do we have any idea how many of those? the BPS is going to try to provide summer learning for? We didn't hear any, uh, about that yeah. last night, but I expect that will be part of the, um, the plan as it comes out in the next couple of weeks. You, could, you would think it could be more than typically is the school. I mean, just given the need, I, I would think it might be a much bigger group of students who, who would be looking for summer learning opportunities. Well, I think I think clearly with virtual learning, there's, a, there's an ability to meet um, the there's ability to engage more students, but when I say engage, we're also, you know, as we'll talk later in the meeting, we're having an issue engaging all students now in in uh, in, in online learning, and um, and there's there'll be a bit of fatigue, and and as weather gets nicer, and uh, we've been on our computers for you know almost 80 days of years. online learning, I, yeah. I, I think uh, I think there's going to be some fatigue there for summer remote learning. Yeah, that's a good point. So then Superintendent Casilius reported on the student privacy policy, which has been in the works for several weeks. And um, finally, the budget hearing with city councilors uh, was Tuesday night. What were the highlights sure, so, there? Yeah, yeah. The, the privacy policy has been the topic that's been on you know almost every school committee meeting for the last couple of months. So yeah. the privacy policy. And um, so it sounds like the, the superintendent now is going to engage stakeholders over the next month and a half on privacy policy. Um, again, this is about sharing student information with uh, uh, authorities and uh, uh, really the police and ICE. 
Because um, folks and, in the community just aren't satisfied with where the, the policy that was put in, in front of the uh, school committee, they, they just weren't satisfied with where it was. Correct. And people have been expecting a new policy to be um, uh, submitted to the, to the school committee, uh, which has not yet been done. Uh, so the superintendent did commit last night to uh, engaging stakeholders over the next month and a half and think about um, how to work with all of the sort of subgroups and interested parties who are involved in this topic, who have been involved in advocating for better policy. And the superintendent expects to have the policy to the school committee in August. Right. Um, okay. we, we also heard uh, that the superintendent finalized the um, budget hearing process with the city council uh, two nights ago. Um, and uh, we should hear, you know, soon from, I, I'm not sure the exact date for the city council budget vote, um, but that's the next step in approval of the, of the school committee's, of the school department's budget. So essentially the school committee votes on the budget, that budget is then submitted to the city council. The city council um, approves that budget um, and then it gets, it, it gets implemented for the following year. So, so what about um, that, that budget is the budget that was presented before the COVID-19 crisis struck. I understand why you just move forward and, and work to get it approved, but what happens if the city comes back and doesn't have the same budget it thought it w would? Does then Is there a potential rethinking of the school budget that has to happen? Um, I, I think there's going to have to be a rethinking of the school budget. And Mr. Lacanto or Chairman Lacanto alluded to this uh, last night that he was going to ask the budget team to take another look at, at this year's budget and to see what could potentially, you know, what's left of this year's budget until June 30th that could be used um, for some of the things that are being done now for, for COVID relief uh, for, for the school department. And he also noted that on, on July 1st, the new year's budget will be put into place. And that, again, there would need to be a look into that budget to see if there needs to be some reallocation um, based on our new reality. Right. And then your kids are in BPS. Ross, do we know when the last day of school is? We do not. I mean, that was one thing that um, we've heard. We heard about, I guess, two meetings ago, the superintendent noted that she was going to submit a waiver to the Department of Elementary and Secondary Education um, to keep the final day of school as it is in the BPS calendar. Um, but we've heard no mention um, at the school level, district level, around when the last day of school is this year. Interesting. So several committee members had questions for the superintendent. Ms. Robinson asked um, or want, wanted to know if Wi-Fi would continue to be free from partners like Verizon. Uh, the, superintendent, the superintendent said that this was certainly a priority for her and that she hoped that the city's partners might extend this free offering. Um, but I think we don't have clarification yet on that. And that's been highlighted as an issue multiple times in the Globe and in other um, articles about uh, virtual school for BPS students. Yes, I mean, this is um, the article uh, in the, that was over the weekend around virtual, it's called Virtual Dropouts. It was in the Boston Globe and it highlighted a student um, from Brighton High School who was not logging into, into online learning every day. And the article noted how many, there's a, you know, about 20% of students haven't logged into the online system. Um, and, and, and through the student's experience, um, why the student hasn't logged in yet. Um, and so um, Mr. O'Neill asked for clarification about this article um, that was in the Globe over the weekend. And let's play a clip from Mr. O'Neill's question and then the superintendent's response. 
Thank you. So, Superintendent, thank you for the presentation, particularly about uh, the food and the computers. We've talked about that a lot. I know it's now been a couple of weeks since you have started the Remote Learning 2.0, where the school leaders have been empowered to kind of have strategy for their schools. We talked about it at the last meeting. Um, and obviously, uh, a lot of us saw, as, as you undoubtedly did, the Globe did a story this week about students that are not, that are virtual dropouts. What are we doing to really try on a school-by-school -school level and get, test how many students, and I don't mean test from an assessment viewpoint, probe, I should say, on how many students are actually engaged, and if they're not, what are we doing to reach out to them, to actually engage them? And I, I, I noticed a, a national publication called The 74 did an article about what they're doing in San Antonio, where they were reaching out uh, to students, and they were using every network possible. They actually talked about a band director reaching out through students in the band to contact all 74 on his band when they realized that 20 were not engaged. So what are we doing to help school leaders and encouraging them to use every network in their means to find these students? And, and my closing comment is, you know, I appreciate it when you say, for example, what the number is that parents could call or what the website is. But when we hear examples of being able to go to the website to get a Chromebook, well, that's tough to do if you don't have a computer and you don't have internet access. What, what are we doing to reach around to get to those students that just that are falling off the radar screen? Well, thank you for asking that, um, Mr. O'Neill. We have several ways that we're doing that. Um, and I think we're much like the school district you mentioned in that you know, all of our kids matter to us and we are trying desperately to reach every single one of them. Matter of fact, we had a data point with where we, at, when we first started with hundreds and thousands of kids, not hundreds of thousands, but hundreds or thousands of kids that we thought we didn't yet um, contact in that first week. And I said to the, mayor, uh, to the school leaders, we need to find every single kid. And so they really went and looked and had their teachers call and did everything. And we are down to just 120 kids that we haven't had any contact with out of 54,000. And we've tried everything, but we don't have the right address or the right telephone number to, to contact those 120. And we keep trying. Most of school committee's comments reference the Globe article about virtual dropouts. We'll link to the Globe article and to the opinion piece from City Councilor Andrea Campbell on this issue in the blog post that goes along with um, the release of this podcast. Ross, so then we move to public com comment. What were the highlights here? Sure. Um, so on public comment, we heard uh, a little bit more about the Desi MOU. We had, we had a parent come out speaking against the Desi MOU. Mm -hmm. um, we heard some, from some other parents about concerns about reopening, uh, particularly around um, buses being safe um, or unsafe, as yeah. well as what are the safety measures that are going to be used to open schools. Um, we heard from the nurses union um, wanting to be engaged in the process of, of, of planning for reopening of schools. Uh, we heard a little more about student information being shared, um, the concerns around that. Mm -hmm. um, and then we heard some support for the Boston Green Academy application renewal, which was at the last meeting. Um, and then, you know, we had Mr. Mudd um, got back to remote this, this remote learning and the Globe um, article. And I, I thought his, his, um, his comments here and his questions were really important to highlight. So let's, let's play Mr. Mudd's um, public comments. 
Thank you. I asked to speak tonight uh, to highlight the issue of the larger numbers of students that were not being able to participate in uh, remote learning. And I can only reinforce the concerns that uh, Michael O'Neill and other members of the committee have expressed about this issue tonight. Uh, prior to the Globe, the report that the school committee received last week, two weeks ago, at the last meeting, uh, had some very stark data. There was a graph that showed that fully one-third of Blacks and Latinos had no logins to Clever, that one-quarter of Blacks and Latinos had no days logged into Google Classroom. And this data has not included reports on English learners, on students with disabilities, much less English learners with disabilities, uh, which would likely be even worse. Uh, these data do indicate how important it is to understand why this happening is happening and to develop strategies to reduce the lack of engagement. What do you think about Mr. Mudd's comments? Um, so I, I always enjoy listening to Mr. Mudd and, and summarizing um, what he believes uh, are the key issues here. And, and I think what's important is that Mr. Mudd was highlighting um, last school committee's presentation where the district began to share data around racial disparities of students logging in, but never really talked about it. Right. Um, and then uh, they also didn't share any data around English language learners, um, students with disabilities, um, and really disaggregate the data and then create a plan for how they're going to engage students and make sure we didn't have inequities amongst groups, subgroups of students who are logging in. Um, so I think what Mr. Mudd is noting here is that we have to really zero in on this, pay close attention to it, develop a clear plan, bring everyone together to engage every student in, in learning. Um, and, and this is hard work, but it, it, we have to be transparent about it and we have to work super hard and, and follow the data on this. Right, right. Yeah, it is, it's very complicated stuff, but we, we also can't just be kicking the can. I think that partners are ready to be engaged in the work that is going to be required to help students across the city. And, and I think his points were right on spot in terms of um, making sure that we're really surrounding kids with the help that they need, as opposed to if we don't, if we don't note the problems, then there's no way to start moving forward to solve them. So there were two reports then last night, one on Mass Core and the other on high school redesign. Both were eventually characterized as very preliminary by both the superintendent and by the chair of school committee. Russ, let's start with the Mass Core policy proposal. What, what did you think here? Right, this is, um, so this, this proposal, so Mass Core is essentially a graduation requirement. It's a common graduation requirement for Boston Public Schools. Um, we've heard about MassCore for about two years now. Where right. the district we started has noted this podcast that, around a conversation right. about MassCore. Yeah, right. It was actually a year ago where there was a presentation to the school committee um, and actually working groups of, yeah. of principals and others who were trying to figure out how do we create a common graduation requirement because we have uh, different graduation requirements at almost all of our high schools. Right. And um, it's super complicated. I mean, that was the one thing that was my biggest takeaway from all those conversations is super complicated. And this presentation did not make it, it, it did not begin to drill into how complicated the, and look, I'm all for mass core, but I, it, it is going to take a number of things to be in alignment in order for us to execute on it. And I think we should do it. 
but it, we need a we need a plan to do it. Well, we, we certainly should have a common graduation requirement across the city of Boston. Um, we should. Um, what we learned, you know, at last night's presentation is we have about 31% of BPS students meet math core requirements currently, while over 80% of uh, students across the state meet math core requirements. So math core, again, is, is designed, it's a state uh, guidance that's designed to say we need to prepare students for college and career success. It, it says um, that you have taken the things that ensure that you can go to college and be successful. That's right. right. Let's play a quote. Yeah. Exactly. Let's play a quote from from um, Assistant Superintendent Christine Landry, who highlights the need for Mass Corps. And finally, we're driven by the idea of college and career and life readiness. So students who experience a rigorous course of study like Mass Corps are more likely to graduate from college um, on time. So a a, a clear um, uh, highlight here in the Mass Corps. Um, report last night was about the, the need for having a common requirement for graduation and really making sure that we're not just preparing kids to graduate a BPS high school, but we're preparing them for college and career success. However, what was missing in this report last night, um, which actually was noted by several school committee members and ultimately will delay the vote on this proposal um, for, it was supposed to, the vote was supposed to be at the next school committee meeting, but now I think it's gonna be delayed until later in the summer because there was a number of key components missing. Uh, first and foremost, the school committee members didn't have the policy, uh, yeah. the five-page policy that they were supposed to vote on, and I think uh, someone forgot to send that to the school committee members, so that was quite a, a problem. Um, the other things that were missing were a plan for how to get to Mass Corps. Um, so what the, what the report noted was they'll begin Mass Corps implementation next year with, current, with the seventh graders next year, and that the first time Mass Corps becomes full in effect, so basically the first graduates of Mass Corps will be in 2025. And what was noted here was by school committee members um, was that there's no plan to get there, right? So there was a there was a concern around increasing achievement gap. There was concern about um, lack of data around where schools are now. Um, so there was no data presented about how far schools need to move to get to Mass Corps. Um, there was no in, um, discussion around what budget allocation would need to be provided for Mass Corps. There was no discussion around human resource uh, changes that need to be made to get to Mass Corps. Um, and you know, other things like schedules need to change pretty drastically to get there. So there was no details about how, you know, if, if you will, on-ramps to get to Mass Corps. Um, and then, you know, Ms. Reyes, the student representative, had a really good question that I would like to play here. Um, let's play Ms. Reyes's quote. Thank you. Um, so I am a little curious, I'm not a little, but I am curious about how this change to Mass Corps could line up with our facilities and sort of access that students have to, I know part of Mass Corps is like, a, it says lab-based sciences and so how, how are we gonna make sure that our high schools have spaces for students to actually be participating in a lab-based science class? So another, another clear missing point of this was, you know, if we're gonna to get to Mass Corps, which talks about high-level science classes, you need to have science labs. Ms. Reyes goes to the O'Brien Math and Science School, which is an exam school. 
um, and their, their facilities are severely lacking. So if we expect students to achieve at high standards, they need labs, like science labs, in order to take these high-level classes. Right. Um, there's no plan for how facilities will change to ensure that our students have access to high-caliber curriculum and instruction every day. Um, yeah. So there was, just, there was just some really big chunks of missing information. Um, there was no research, no, no data around this. Uh, I'm sorry, there was research, but there's no data around the current um, conditions. And uh, that will all need to be provided to the committee before a vote is taken. Yeah, and, and it's all there, right? Like, I mean, the, 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 we have an assessment of all the buildings. We know, we know what state each one of them is in now. It, it, so I think we have to put stakes in the ground about if we want to move to Mass Corps, what are the needs that each building has? Or how are you going to move children around so that they can be in a space where all of the needs for a certain course are accommodated? Anyway, I thought it was a great conversation by school committee um, and really pointing out what they needed to hear in order to make a decision on, on the recommendation. Um, and then the night moved on with a presentation on high school redesign. There wasn't a great deal of conversation. And again, Chairman Lacanto summarized the report by saying that the report was very preliminary. But let's play a quote from school committee member, Ms. Oliver Davia, that sort of summed up the entirety of the committee's comments. My two comments are, um, well, thank you guys for your presentation first. Um, I guess my, I, I, I said this before when we had our meeting on April 29th, um, I talked about, uh, I had the same, same question as Dr. Rivera, um, how these schools were chosen. And my concern is, and I, and I understand, um, you know, the open enrollment schools like um, bear the brunt and, you know, they take all students and it's an unfair thing and all schools should take all students. So I, I, that I'm on board with that. However, I guess my um, concern is that some of the schools, you know, on the list are, are low performing. And um, I just worry about adding so many things, the seven to 12, the AP, the IB and the Mass Corps. And so that's more my worry about just having so many things. And so I would like to understand a little bit more about um, the supports, et cetera. My large concern is really around the alternative education piece. So I wanna better understand, um, I've, been, I've been working in alternative education for I don't even know how long. And it's, you know, it's taken a long time. Um, and I feel like I'm still having the same conversation after all these years, um, you know, the importance of alternative education. So when you talk about like the attendance, there's a reason why, you know, you gave that broad range of 22 to 100%. There's a reason why some of our students are really struggling. Um, and I think they play a really, really important role. And so I, I think, you know, if we, re we really value alternative education, then we need to put that front and center and we need to make a larger investment. I worry about your model and I'm curious about a few things. Um, in the past, we've always had like dedicated people who oversee, who have overseen alternative education. Seems like there's two of you now, uh, but really who is, who is the owner? Who's, who is in charge of Alt-Ed? Who is like the champion who is the person that is the diehard that's bringing that constantly to the table. 
because uh, we need to have somebody who that is just their portfolio. That is what they do. Um, I'm curious, you know, how you came to the assignment piece. Um, that seems so limiting to me. I mean, I think part of what we love about alternative education is the innovation, the ingenuity, um, the uniqueness of it and having um, those, you know, alternative education program assigned to specific schools just seems very, very limiting to me. And when you said, you know, it's taking so long to get young people in seats, I mean, that is also a function of not having enough dollars. So if we really wanted to have more seats, we, we would put in a larger investment. I think that's like a, a big part of it. And um, I'm just wondering, you know, because I know uh, many, I, the most, most of the alt-ed leaders probably, how was, how, how, I can't imagine that they really would agree to this. So I'm just curious, how was their involvement? What did they say? You know, what are their thoughts? What do, what do they foresee as the challenges? You know, or may, if you're saying that they all liked this model, I'd be curious to understand why. So this sort of sums, sums things up. I mean, the, so after the math core presentation was the high school redesign presentation. Um, and there was, um, if you're a follower of school committee, you, you should be highly concerned about this presentation. There was, there was a complete lack of data strategy planning. Um, this, and no research involved in this. This just seemed to be a, a bunch of different ideas that were not vetted with anybody that was noted that the presenters said, we, we haven't really talked to anybody about this. They presented yeah. a bunch of ideas with absolutely no, uh, no strategy for how to get there. Um, and I'm really hopeful that um, there's a complete restart of this uh, because what was presented last night, um, it, it, it was devoid of any plan or strategy or detail and was, was really highly It's not very actionable. Not very actionable. And, and um, so I, I encourage people to go back and look at, we'll post the, 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 the presentation online, but, um, but I think this is a, just a complete do over. Yeah, there's a lot, lots of lots of work to be done there, and it's it's a super big topic. Um, high school redesign, and 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 that that presentation only talked about redesign of seven. Of course, have many more high schools than that. So, Ross, I think that uncut. uncut. That was it, Jill, and we look forward to the next meeting in two weeks. There you go. Thank you for listening to Last Night at School Committee. We hope that you enjoyed today's podcast. And if you did, please rate, review, like, and share it with your fellow friends, parents, and citizens of Boston. We all have a stake in the future success of Boston students. Have a great day.